Welcome back to Beyond the Bedroom. I'm Birna, a sex educator, and I have a very special guest with me today, a developer of a product I'm so excited to share with you. Today with me is Glenice Kinnard Moore, CEO, founder of Schemu Tech and the VDOM. Uh, the VDOM is an ingenious sex tech firm that focuses on human-inspired engineering and artificial intelligence. They specialize in creating state-of-the-art prosthetic devices that enhance the adult sexual experience. We'll talk about it some more, but the VDOM is an app-connected adult wearable device that has the ability to go from flaccid to erect at the push of a button. It's so crazy, and thank you so much for being here. Hi. Hi, thank Hi. you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Appreciate it. When I found out about this product, I lost my mind. I could not believe that not enough people are talking about this. I've mentioned that to you many times, but I can't believe that something like this didn't exist yet. You know what I mean? Like it was one of those things where I'm like, of course, it's so obvious, you know? So did you ever have those moments where you were like, did this already exist? Like, why has no one thought about doing this before? Totally. Um, from the very second that I even thought about it, which was a crazy day, um, having dinner with friends and a couple of bottles of wine. And I just mentioned it. I was like, it would be so cool if we had this product. And they were all like, ah, oh, shut up. Here you go again. <laughs> and then everybody stopped at the same time. was like, actually, that would be amazing. Right. And so I started, you know, like researching and realized it didn't exist. I was like, how I know I'm not like the smartest person in the world. <laughs> Why doesn't this exist right now? So right. Um, I went full speed ahead after I realized it and then started just seeing that so many other people thought like I did. <laughs> yeah, because so the VDOM, it's it's more than a strap-on, right? Because it's a wearable device. It's not something, well, a lot of people wore their strap-ons before by like tuck, duct taping it to their leg or something, right? So, yes. right. <laughs> so this kind of, you saw how inconvenient that was and you decided to do something about it. What was that tipping point for you? Were you someone who used strap-ons a lot and it was just inconvenient or was it people telling you? Like, what was the inspiration behind creating this? Honestly, uh, it was wanting to have spontaneous sex with my wife. Honestly, uh, that's where it originally started because, yeah. you know, um, I've been in a relationship with my wife going on 13 years. We've been married going on four. And, yeah. you know, as any couple that is in their mid thirties, uh, early forties, um, you know, things start to just get a little mundane, a little bit in the bedroom. So, um, you know, just the thought of like, man, it'd be nice if, you know, we were out at that, you know, concert one day and found a little cubby hole and was able to get a little freaky. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so honestly, it was, it was that thought process because, you know, outside of utilizing strap-ons, um, as someone who identifies as lesbian, we're usually using our hands, our mouths. Um, but, you know, I am a germaphobe at the same time. So mm -hmm. I don't want to have to find somewhere to brush my teeth. I don't want to have to find somewhere to wash my hands. And if I don't, what else is the alternative? And there right. was just nothing out there. So that's what I just put two and two together, looked at all the restrictions of traditional strap-ons, looked at all the issues that would, you know, keep me from having, being able to have spontaneous sex. And I just meshed them together and created the Vino. That is so interesting. Cause I think also what happens 
when you have to have a strap on and a backpack. And if you don't have like a case or a pouch for the dildo, you can't always ensure that it's clean. And then people say, oh, just use a condom. And there's two things I always say to that. I'm like, one, not a lot of people with penises want to carry condoms. Like, why would that be a solution that you think would work better in this case? And two, a lot of condoms have silicone lube in them and that will wear down your dildo after a while. So this, this is something also like I wasn't even thinking about. It does ensure a more hygienic because you're just keeping it close to your body. You're keeping it near you. You know where it's been. You can always check into the bathroom and, and clean it. I think that's something that I wasn't even thinking about, but that's definitely probably going to cut down on a lot of people's anxiety about where has this been? Is it clean? Is there dust on it? What's been your backpack? <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. No, totally. Exactly. All of those things are, you know, we took all of those elements and we're like, okay, this is how we need to build this product. Um, we need to think of as many scenarios as we possibly could of, you know, what would be the limitations here and what's the solution with the product? So, Exactly that. Um, one thing that we are working on ourselves is uh, working with the organic condom company uh, just for that reason, because we yeah. can't just say, hey, go use any condom with our product, because like right. we said, it breaks down the silicone um, so that, you know, the stuff that's usually utilizing condoms. So we're working with an organic condom company for that reason. Um, you know, there's, and we just we really tried to just touch on every single thing so that people can, again, just have the option Mm-hmm. Um, we're not trying to really necessarily um, create a product that is, you know, hey, go do this because this is the thing to do. We're just saying now everybody has options here. And yeah. if it's whatever problem is solving for you, let it solve that problem. Um, and it's for everybody who wants it, you know, so that's yeah. that's been our approach. Can you can you talk a little bit more about that? Because your target audience, I'm assuming in the beginning, was people that were in your position. Like a lot of lesbians are the target audience for most strap-ons, but I'm assuming also this is more of a gender affirming product for a lot of people, right? Absolutely. So of course, being a lesbian woman, of course I knew exactly what other lesbians, you know, have stated about, you know, utilizing strap-ons and wanting to use them and when they use them. Um, But I also thought about uh, transgender men um, as well, because yeah, the gender affirming piece of it is huge. My, mm-hmm. I say my trans brothers, I've talked to them plenty of times and the options that they have are just completely limited. It's either a strap on, it's either a packer or it's either surgery. And mm-hmm. all three of those options just don't give them the full package. So that was the, the next step. Those were the two main um, audiences at the beginning, because it's what I know. It wasn't until I really got into the research and development that I realized how impactful it would be across the board for other communities, physical disabilities, um, who, people who have like paralysis. There are a ton of people who have genital injuries. Um, yeah. And then there's a lot of guys, uh, heterosexual guys who um, have uh, erectile dysfunction and they actually use strap-ons. And I had no yeah. idea until I started researching. So. I actually, I ran into that a couple. So before I moved to Iceland, I was doing a little bit of, um, sex ed work, like, uh, getting my supervision hours up at the veterans association, like the hospitals, because I, and I, at first I was like, why am I being placed there? Am I teaching sex ed? And then I was realizing a lot of people, men and women come from, uh, in pelvic floor injuries and groin injuries. And some, some of these guys completely lost their genitals. And, um, 
that was something also I was teaching them about strap on use and stuff like that. And a lot of them were really embarrassed because they also had to get over this toxic masculine kind of like those things are not for us, um, things. So I'm, I'm even looking, you know, to see like, that would probably be really impactful for someone who has an, a pelvic injury or a general injury. And I don't think people realize how many people are affected by that. It's obviously not just in the battlefield, but fires, um, falls, just stuff like that. It's one of those things we don't really talk about. Right. Um, exactly. Oh my exactly. God. Exactly. Makes me like and, so excited. <laughs> yeah. And just, and to be honest, it was just mind blowing when I, you know, started to find this type of information. I mean, uh, just as an example, there's a whole division of the um, U.S. Army and the government that is dedicated strictly to soldiers who have genital injuries. Right. Um, they haven't had a lot of traction in the last like couple of years. It was really big in 2017 when it started. Um, but their only option, even through that program, was surgery. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and a lot of people, people don't realize it. A lot of people can't have the surgeries. It's no. very invasive. Yeah. Um, whether it's penile or if it's, um, like a, uh, a genital reconstruction of any type, yeah. so a lot of people can't have it. You know, they have certain health issues that they yeah. can't have it. Right. So it's just, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of factors. It's like, there should be an in-between option here yeah. while you're trying yeah. to figure it out and fulfill yourself. Yeah, totally. Uh, but just to like, take a step back, let's talk mm-hmm. about what the VDOM does because when I say yeah. it goes from flaccid to erect with a push of a button, I'm sure people are listening to this being like, wait, can you guys just go over that a little bit more? So it connects to an app. Yes. Yeah. So it connects to our mobile app, uh, which is available on the iOS and Android platform. Um, and it's only through Bluetooth connection right now. We're still trying to figure out if we're going to make it an internet of things, but I'm 50 50 on that but we wanted to start out with bluetooth connection and basically the app strictly just adds um acts as a remote control um that's what the baseline um of the app is a lot of people are like well that's over and beyond i'm like yeah it is until you're out in public and you're trying to stick your hands in your pants to push a button um so and then they're like oh light bulb yeah you're you're right i'd rather you know tap my smartwatch or my smartphone which is 90 percent in my hand even when i'm having sex or being intimate um i'd rather do that than dig around in my pants and push a button even though you still have that option um so yeah you push a button um simply push a button on your smartphone smartwatch to our mobile app and you get an erection within about 60 seconds and once you're done or once you're done showing it, uh, <laughs> you then push a button and it goes right back down, tuck it in your pants and keep on moving. That's so cool. So even if your phone dies, you can still use the button on the device, right? Okay. That's cool. I love that. Exactly. Can you talk about like, what does it feel like? So when it's flaccid versus when it's erect, because I work in a sex toy store. That's like my day job. And I sell both lots of different types of dildos and packers too. And sometimes people see the packers and they're like, what is this? I love how soft this is. What is it? And I explain to them what packers do for those of you who don't know, it's more of a gender affirming thing and it creates a bulge. It's not necessarily meant to use, be used as a penetrative object, but then all of these different dildos and these like different sizes and firmness and all this stuff. So 
you have, I think, options for the sizes and stuff, but can you talk more about like the actual feel, like the firmness and like what went into maybe picking those firmnesses? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So the product had to do a lot of different things, of course, and it has to be durable and do it over amount of time. And, you know, everybody's sexual activity is totally different. So we had to account for all of that. But we knew from a baseline that we wanted the skin of the device to be as humanistic as possible, um, regardless if it was in a flat state or an erect state. Um, so we had to do a very uh, combination mix of medical grade silicone to make sure that it gave that feel, which regardless of either state that it's in. Um, and the other part of that is that we wanted people to have the option to, if they wanted to show a bulge while they're wearing it and it's flaccid, mm -hmm. they can. Um, it's just as simple as adjusting the, the device um, with the connected um, custom underwear that we have for it. Or if you don't, uh, which is a person like myself, I don't necessarily want to show a bulge. So there's a way to, again, adjust it to where people wouldn't even know you had it on. Um, and I've actually tested this out a million times, even with some that. of my tightest, shortest shorts. Um, <laughs> but um, so we wanted to make sure that those were the options. We wanted to make sure as humanistic as possible. It took a very special mix of silicone. Like, I think we made like at least 200 um, samples before we finally oh got God. the right formula. Um, but if you can imagine, um, if you're a person that doesn't necessarily lift weights every day, and you have like soft fingertips. If you can imagine how your fingertip feels, it's a little firm, but it's very soft at the same time. Yeah. 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 That's pretty much what the VDOM feels like. Oh. So when it, when it goes to an erect state, just push up your fingertip, uh, to the tightest point that you possibly can. Okay. That's what it feels like when it's erect. So I am um, doing that right now. <laughs> I am. So that's what it feels like. Yeah. I'm sure you're that's making lots of listeners like. be like, hmm, like feeling their fingers. But <laughs> that makes sense because that does feel more real because that's something that I get in the store all the time. People are like, does this feel realistic? Because sometimes also if things are too hard. They can cause a lot of pain and irritation, but if they're too soft, they might not be that like filling, you know? So it's so hard to describe these things without using my hand motions. <laughs> I know, trust me, I get it. <laughs> but it is, that is a really great analogy because that's also, I mean, not everyone necessarily wants to think of it as a penis. A lot of people just want right. to think of it as an extension of me. It's a phallic object. It's like my fingers, you know? So, and also for a lot of people, sex toys are just part of their experience in this world. And it's not a replica per se of a penis. It's just something that they kind of put in like a soft spot in their heart. Like I picked this one. This is one that I feel comfortable with, um, which is kind of the magic of it, right? Like getting to pick yeah. what's down there is kind of cool. So exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and you guys have different sizes, right? Like of the thing that goes. So is it okay? Now I'm, now I'm like, just curious. So no worries. Are there, so the, when you talk about how you can like put it in a bulge and stuff, um, when you're picking like a size, cause that's length and girth or is it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So does that affect also how small it gets when it's small? <laughs> so actually it does because it okay. is a shower and it is a grower. So, <laughs> um, okay. Just to give it in like the most okay. simplistic terms. So, um, for instance, when you, we have two different sizes, we originally had 
four different sizes. I mean, excuse me, three different sizes, but okay. everyone was just not trying to pick a four inch. Right. Um, but a lot of uh, different people from different countries do prefer a little bit smaller, but yeah. they just weren't picking up traction like we wanted them to. So we only offer now a six inch and an eight inch. So okay. to give you an idea, um, our six inch actually starts out, if it's in a flat state, it's about four and a half inches long. Okay. Um, and if it's our eight inch, um, then it starts out at about six and a half inches long. So um, as it's actually going from flaccid to erect, it starts out pretty small and it grows about an inch and a half and then it firms up. So that's pretty much how the erection um, works. Because again, our entire goal this entire time has been make it as humanistic as possible. So we want it to truly react how the human body reacts. Mm. A lot of people who, it's so funny because a lot of people who are like, why are you creating this heteronormative product? And my answer to that as always is, I wasn't going into this thinking, I'm just gonna make this heteronormative product. What I'm gonna make is a very humanistic prosthetic device, period and plain blank. So I'm not gonna change anything. I'm gonna try to create and recreate the human body, period, and mm -hmm. plain blank. So yeah. the same thing that are done with arms and legs. And that's what we did. So that meant that, you know, it had to go from a very small size to the exact size that it needs to be. And it needed to have that firmness once it's there. Our system acts just like blood vessels. Um, and it actually pushes through, um, you know, basically our special elixir um, and makes the erection. And it pretty much feels the exact same. So because of that, that's, that is so cool. And when you were, so talk to me a little bit about what your background is, because you're not, you, you didn't uh, learn like product or mechanical engineering, right? So you just had to pick that up. You just had Absolutely to become not. one overnight, basically. <laughs> exactly. I have, I work in information security yeah. Um, consulting. And basically I specialize in the payment card industry. So I go into large systems, um, companies and look at their systems and say, Hey, are you protecting cardholder data properly? That's what I do right. on a nine to five basis. I am absolutely not an engineer, not a mechanical and an electrical one um, <laughs> at all. I had to learn all of this. Um, what I did do is as I was researching, cause I researched for about eight to 10 months before I even went, you know, started to make steps to create the product. Um, as I learned, I looked through a lot of human anatomy books, um, you know, articles, uh, scientific journals, uh, looked at, you know, the world of prosthetics um, and the discipline of prosthesis. And I learned, okay, these are the basics that I need. Now I need to go find somebody to help me build it. Um, so I was able to find some really awesome engineers who um, helped me throughout the entire process to build it out but I took them a blueprint. I said, these are the basic elements. Um, this is what I know is gonna work when it comes to um, elements versus air versus uh, liquid. Um, this is what I think is gonna be the best. Let's see how we can make this work. And we've worked hand in hand the entire time to build this out. I have learned so much. Um, it's so funny because when I'm talking to investors, they're just like, what's your background? I mean, how are you qualified to do this? I said, well, I've just taken the last three and a half years of my life and become an entry-level mechanical engineer, right. an entry-level electrical engineer, and that's all, you know, just learned on the job, basically. So that's what makes me qualified. So I yeah, I had to learn. It works. it works. I think a lot of people are realizing, especially, I've been seeing this also, I mean, throughout quarantine and COVID, like a lot of people use that time too, to 
start um, redefining an education. And I mean, I see it a lot for coding, for example, a lot of people just being like, why should I pay all this money to learn all these things that I can access through like smaller fees or, and stuff like that. And so I think the world is changing in that regard. Like you, people are realizing I don't need to do this in four years. I can cut it down. And if I have some sort of backer or supervisor, like I can totally do a little, a bit of that too which is so cool. And, and I really like to see that. And I'm really happy also that you did do more of the research into the biological side. So before I became a, yeah, before I became a sex educator, I studied, um, I was kind of torn between like gender studies and biology and I picked biology and then like went into this. And so for, that's why for me, this is so interesting because I'm like, this is the most biologically amazing sex toy I think I've ever seen. So I'm like, wow. And, uh, Iceland, actually one of our biggest, um, like high cost exports is prosthetics. So, uh, we have, um, a company here called Asir, and they, uh, were one of the first people to make, um, more of like a skin feel prosthetic instead of like a metal. And I love keeping up with that stuff too, because like you said, you never know who's going to be in that target audience. Right. So I, I love that. And you definitely were selective with the people around you, I'm assuming, right? Because not only is this a huge undertaking on your own, but I know working in sex tech, you can't always trust that people have the right intentions or that they'll have, I don't know, like the the open mind that you're looking for. So what was that like selective process like for you? Not just for funding, but for just the people that you're working with. Definitely. Um, I always say that I never work with anyone or hire a contractor or anyone that works on this product um, who is not just as enthusiastic about it, um, who's excited about it. Because what I found is there's people that will come out and they'll do the work exactly how you tell them. But because this is something that's the first of its kind, we need to always think outside the box every chance we get. So um, there's no blueprint for this type of product at all, because again, it hasn't been created. So because of that, if you don't have a certain level of enthusiasm or you know, excitement about the product, you're never gonna go over and beyond your thought process um, outside of just getting the job done. So, I mean, I have, I vet, whew, I, can, I can only tell you <laughs> how many people that I have vetted um, engineers before I allowed them to come onto the, pro onto the project. Um, even when it came to like some things we need one offs on the very first thing I always say is this is what the job is. Here's my website, go check it out. If you still want to talk, then come back to me. And the people that says, absolutely, this is amazing. I want to do, I want to work on this. That's who I end up usually hiring. And I don't even know if they really necessarily have the skill set, but if they, you know, they have a nice resume and they, you know, have that enthusiasm, that's what I go with first. And so it's, that's the baseline. You have to have the enthusiasm. You have to have the care. You have to have the understanding of why we're doing what we're doing. Right. And something you said before, when people are asking about making a heteronormative product that, um, cause I, I get those, I get those comments too, when I'm talking also specifically about like men's health and stuff like that. And sometimes I just want to shake them and be like, I am a queer person. Like nothing I'm doing is going to be heteronormative. You know what I mean? Oh my so, gosh. If I had a dollar. Right. Every time. So sometimes I'm just like, okay. Um, but I think that 
we're kind of blurring those lines anyway, as also we get into, I sell strap-ons to straight couples all the time now, like all the time. And so I think that's also something that they like, it's like, would you consider that queer sex just because someone's wearing a strap on? No. So why would you consider any time a strap on being like, it's just so, so interesting to me, but yeah, I, I think those it's lines. Are, yeah. And I'm excited also to see just how, how those lines continue to blur when more and more products like this come out. So where are you in funding right now? Like where are, is this product available for purchase yet? Or where, where are you in those stages? So we are just getting ready to go to market um, within the next actually couple weeks. We are a year behind. Thank you. <laughs> Finally. Yeah. But uh, honestly, we're a year behind from our original launch date. And that's because the pandemic just right. hit us upside the head so hard. Um, we just ran into a lot of hurdles that we had no idea would occur we had our plan. I am a stickler and meticulous when it comes to planning, um, mapping things out, trying to anticipate things we were run into. But the pandemic, I mean, it just threw the world a curveball. That's why we still have ships sitting out at sea that needs to be, you know, yeah. emptied with with products. It's the same for us. Um, we were supposed to launch April 2021. And I want to say about six weeks prior to actually going to testing, um, our final level of testing and manufacturing, I was, I was getting emails literally every single day for every like 16, 25 parts that are in my device saying, oh, this is backordered now. I'm like, you're supposed to deliver tomorrow. Oh yeah. We, well, we forgot to tell you <laughs> it was like that. It was oh like God. every single day, something was backordered and it wasn't like six weeks. It wasn't like, you know, um, eight weeks. It was like, oh, yeah, so we'll have it to you in like two weeks. And then two weeks later, it's like, oh, yeah, no, it'll be six months. It was absolutely unbelievable. I was scrambling and everything, trying to figure out how to jump these hurdles. Because what we did do was start pre-orders. We started pre-orders in November 2020. And we actually had end up having to cut them off with so much demand because I was like, wait a minute, we're going to have to pivot here. And we had to stop pre-orders. I had to pivot from the true traditional manufacturing process. I had to say, hey, we're going to have to wait for that. We lost our place in line manufacturing. And I pulled together a whole bunch of engineers and assemblers and said, can we make these by hand? Um, So that's what we have done. We've made each individual uh, first line products by hand. And now we're finally about to launch. But even... We were supposed to, we were trying to get out in November. We were trying to get out in December. It's January. Now it's February. Um, and so we're finally able to get out, but we had to do a huge pivot to make it happen. Even our packaging, um, we were supposed to have packaging. We ordered packaging four months in advance and we just received packaging. Um, we ordered it like in August. We just got it two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so our vendor was just like, we ran out of paper. So I had to find another vendor, another vendor, same thing. And then finally, I was able to find one that was able to get us some our packaging. So it's just, it's been yeah. crazy, but we're finally it's, getting there. It's been wild, like the supply chain issues and everything. And I don't think people realize like it does affect small businesses, I think the, the most, because yes, these are the, you know, the things that you need uh, to really cut corners on sometimes too, to make other things work, to pay people 
fair wages and things like that. So then, you know, for all of these things to be in moving parts. And then when one of those moving parts doesn't happen, the whole, it's a domino effect. So I think, you know, at the same time, I think a lot of people are very patient uh, when something is this good. I think it's well worth the wait. So I'm sure everyone will be very happy when they finally get theirs. Um, but it, you know, it's, it's shit happens and fucking COVID. It's just been so crazy. There is nothing I could do about it. You no. know, um, I will say I have to give a shout out to all of our pre-order uh, recipients because they have had the true patience um, that I didn't even think they would. I was like, I'm going to get all these refund requests and everybody's just like, keep your head up. It's okay. We understand. Um, thank goodness for the news really expressing it as well, because I don't think yeah. people are realizing how bad it was at first. Um, but now everybody's like, totally understand. We know it's going to be amazing. Um, it's not because the product doesn't work. It's just because I'm trying to get my hands on what we need for it. Right. Um, but I've finally done that. Um, but I will say from a financial perspective, it took a huge hit on our budget. Um, again, I'm very meticulous. I knew what I needed to make this happen. But because I was jumping hurdles to get parts, I've been paying like crazy money for um, expediting fees, um, going to sources that, you know, have like 20 middlemen in the middle um, to to get parts. So it has taken a huge impact on our budget. And we're just yeah. now starting to fundraise because of that. Because it is, so it's the device itself and then mm -hmm. it's underwear as well. Right. So yep. instead of a strap on it's, it's like underwear with these, it's like strap on uh, workings inside of the underwear. <laughs> right. Uh, so there is multiple parts in your order also, right? Exactly. So, yeah. So also with the underwear, um, what was it like to, I mean, I'm sure you tested out a ton of those. Did you make those like the first little models by hand as well? Or I did. And oh my I God. didn't know how to sew. <laughs> I didn't know how to sew. It looked like, um, Frankenstein when I first <laughs> created it. Um, and piece it together. I had tape and, oh and a little God. bit of sewing here and there. And I'm trying to take it to like seamstress. And they're like, well, what is this? We've we don't know what to do with this. <laughs> um, so it took a while, but I knew it had to have, you know, support. The fabric had to be an exact type of fabric. Um, the support bands and how everything sits had to be a certain way. Um, and then the connection mechanism had to be a certain way. So those are the three main things. But at the same time, I'm fighting against some of the nuances with traditional strap-ons. I didn't right. want anything pulling at people's, you know, lower thigh or cutting into their skin or them having to adjust it while they're walking around, um, you know? So I had to fight against those things as well. So it had to be the perfect balance of things. And yeah. it's so crazy. I found someone who I've known for years, I forgot was a seamstress and she completely made it happen. Um, so we were able to create that and, uh, that was probably the easiest part of this entire process after we really realized what it needed to be. So what I'm hearing from a lot of this, like with your pre-order people and seamstress is, and just the people that you want to work around and with, it's this overwhelming sense of community. And that's something that's so beautiful to me because, um, I think it's, it's just something that a lot of queer people are really good at, like a chosen family and having these people, those bonds around you. And so that's why I think like when uh, the sex tech industry has more 
queer-led companies, a lot of really cool, beautiful, magical things happen, which is really cool. And you are from Atlanta and this whole thing happened in Atlanta, right? So yeah. yeah. And I've heard also like Atlanta is two things, the black Hollywood and the black Silicon Valley. (laughs) I love that. I'm like, I need to go to Atlanta. What's going on in Atlanta? I love that. So what was that like also? Because black queer sex tech that a lot of that, and just a lot of black tech is coming out of Atlanta. So can you talk a little bit also about what it was like to do all this in Atlanta? Do you think you could have done a lot of this somewhere else? Like what is so special about, about that city? Um, and you're right. All of those labels is pretty much what Atlanta (laughs) is right now. It's amazing. We have so much amazing tech coming from black founders out of Atlanta right now. And, um, we call it our black oasis because I mean, it's, it's a predominant, well, I wouldn't necessarily say that the entire state of Georgia is no. predominantly black, of course, but the city is and where the tech ecosystem, um, it is, it is, is it's, it's pretty balanced. Let's put it like that. Um, and a lot of companies that, you know, black founders that were in different cities, um, like Tristan Walker with, uh, who makes bevel, uh, uh, facial clipper. He was actually based out of San Francisco. He decided to come to bring his business to Atlanta. Um, So just different companies like that um, and founders like that are coming to Atlanta because of the, you know, the, the new ecosystem that we're creating. We realized that um, a lot of the um, roadmap that was, you know, created as the startup way to do things that was based out of Silicon Valley, it just didn't fit, you know, um, who we are as founders. Um, so we realized, hey, we have to sort of kind of create our own ecosystem here. And I don't think it necessarily happened intentionally. But once we all started seeing what everyone was doing, we just started to come together. Um, one of the main factors, um, one of the main staples here in Atlanta is the gathering spot, um, which is owned by uh, two Black founders. And it basically is all about that, bringing the ecosystem of professional founders, uh, small businesses, um, and creating an ecosystem of professionals that are majority Black, um, you know, and making sure that representation is there. So they actually started and the network just started to explode from from there because you had all these people in the same space. It's a co-working space. um, And you had all these people in the same space who are all working on creative, innovative things in all industries across the board. And so um, that even started to become the nucleus. And then it just really started to grow and grow and grow. So um, I've tried to keep pretty much as much as I possibly could um, when it comes to building the business who I work with here in Atlanta. Um, I wanted to give, you know, Atlanta a good representation in the sex tech industry um, as a Black founder. And um, hopefully I'm doing that right so far. I think so, because so, I, <laughs> I learned a lot about that from uh, an interview that you did once and I was reading it and I was like, cause I heard a lot about the tech industry in Atlanta. Um, but, and, and the music industry, obviously, and a lot of stuff gets filmed out there too. A lot of TV shows, especially, yes. uh, but I was really excited mostly to see also like a lot of woman led, a lot of queer led stuff out of Atlanta, because I think there is just this overwhelming overgeneralization about the South in terms of homophobia and like all of those things. And so I was like, this is really great that that's immediately challenging those notions and also showing like 
no, like people have communities everywhere. And especially when a community comes together, a lot of the times those barriers get blurred and they realize like, you know, we're, we're founding this project, putting aside whatever notions and differences and making things happen for our community. And so that was really cool to see. Yeah, definitely. Um, you hit it right on the nail. And I just love to see where Atlanta is going right now because I mean, we are just booming. Um, Paul Judge is one of our main leaders in the tech scene here as well. And I mean, there's just so many um, people that are just, you know, making some really great strides when it comes to, you know, the tech ecosystem in Atlanta. And I'm so excited for it. I'm so excited to be a part of it. And it's embracing. Um, it doesn't matter what you identify as. Um, I've seen people all the time, especially again, going back to the gathering spots, sitting at the table that probably necessarily wouldn't have, you know, met or sat at the table together um, before and before that, you know, platform was provided. And they're sitting there and they're all talking about business or they're, you know, networking or saying, hey, can you help me with this? You have a managed services um, that you offer and I need this for my business. And that's what it's starting to become. It's a big family and it doesn't matter how you identify what you look like. And so I think that's why the strength of it is so strong for sure. That is so cool. I am really looking forward to Atlanta growing. And I think that's amazing <laughs> because Atlanta itself, like downtown Atlanta is pretty small. Like yeah, it's speaking, like it's so tiny. You I can remember literally walk there. it. Right. I remember going there and being like, how are all these people doing these amazing things? And there's like four buildings here. Like what is going on? <laughs> right. It's like, I'm from New York. So I was like, what is going on? But yeah. I love it. And I'm really looking forward to it. And cool. speaking also about like these, these kind of things, you have skin color variants in your products. Yes. That's something that also I'm noticing even when a lot of companies are like, no, we have skin color variations. It's either like porcelain, pink, white, or like the <laughs> darkest, darkest brown I've ever seen. And I'm like, nothing in between there. Like, okay. <laughs> and neither one of those colors looks like a human being. So I'm just like, okay. Right. <laughs> um, but that was something that was probably important to you to Cause you were talking about like representation. Do you find that there is a lack of skin tone representation, both in sex toys and also gender affirming wearables? There definitely is. Um, I wanna say there's some great companies that have already taken the reign on that. Um, yeah. Emisil, uh, they're out of the Netherlands, I believe. They make yeah. a uh, prosthetic packer. And I mean, they have taken the skin tone like to a whole nother level um, and have done an amazing job of it. So I think that there definitely is a lack of, but it depends on, you know, what exactly you're looking for. Right. I've even had people ask me, um, why does it have to look so humanistic? Why right. it can't be pink or purple? And I'm like, uh, again, <laughs> humanistic was our baseline. Yeah. But um, to be honest, right now, we only have three skin tones yeah. and um, I don't give them any particular name other than light, medium or dark. And right. I started there because I wanted to see how people were attracted to certain things. I wanted to get feedback uh, to, you know, do you want us to start making custom colors? Um, mm -hmm. What does that look like? Do you want us to do a direct match to your skin tone? Um, we just went with the baseline and we let the humanistic piece lead it because a lot of times what people don't realize is that how your skin is, is what really dictates the color and the, and the tones that come out in the skin. 
Um, So it depends on how soft or how hard the skin actually is. And that's what, you know, sometimes can dictate the skin tone. Um, So we wanted to start with a baseline and we're going to work our way up um, just as we get more communication back and feedback from our community. But like I said, I didn't want to just say, oh, this is 0027 pink or, you know, (laughs) you know, I didn't want, I didn't want it to feel like you, you were going to pick a robotic piece, but still right. more so here's a human prosthetic. This is what we have now. Now let us know what you want and we'll go from there. So light, medium and dark is what we have right now. Mm. And let's grow from there. I think and I want the people to tell me what they want. Yeah. Cause I also see all the time, whether it's foundation colors or dildo colors, it's always like <laughs> mocha, caramel, walnut. Like I'm always and like, can we just ask people? <laughs> Yeah, if you ask people with those skin tones, they're like, but that's really not mocha. No. That's really not, you know what I mean? So yeah. I'm like, that's why I'm like, let the people define it, which is why we said, let's start off with base tones. And then as we get feedback, people will let us know what colors are exactly the real colors that they want and what they need. I don't want to go out here, you know, naming it mocha or caramel. No, or exactly. Like it's, it's like, yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> and also it's like, those things can all look different every day. So it's exactly like, it make any sense, but I think that's also part of it. Like, because you love the humanistic piece. I, I kind of am there too, because we, you can't be shy about what you're asking for. You know what I mean? You can't be like, oh, yeah. I would want one of those in the medium thickness in mocha. It's like, you have to be like, I want the dark tone, the eight inch. That's the thing I want, you know? And um, yeah. that's something that can be scary to some people. But I think when they take that step, it is very empowering and it makes it feel more personal. So yeah. I like that. And I think it, it kind of might push people out of their comfort zone, but for a good reason, because you're going to be handling this product all the time. You might as well get used to it. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's the other part. Uh, there's two things that I wanted to do with this product. One is bridge the gap with, within communities, because, um, you know, I'm breaking the rules by saying we have multiple target audiences. Um, I know that I'm doing that. You're supposed to have one and focus on them. And I've told all they are, you know, potential investors, I'm not, I'm just not going to do it because I'm trying to bridge the gap with letting people know that we all have a humanistic need that we're trying to fulfill, regardless of why your why is what it is. We Mm -hmm. are, we all have this one thing that we keep having in common. We want to have sex. We want to have good sex. We want to have spontaneous sex. We want to, we have a sexual need and it doesn't matter if you're in a wheelchair or if you are six foot four with a beard. Um, it doesn't matter if you are a tiny petite, you know, lesbian woman, it doesn't matter. The common denominator is that we're all needing something to provide um, a solution to whatever yeah. we're trying to fulfill. So we're trying to reverse the gap with that. Well, I, I would argue that that is a specific audience. It's someone who wants a wearable prosthetic that works during sex and you can still wear it when you're not having sex. Like that's a specific audience. So I think that that's what I say every right. single time. And <laughs> investors that, are like, no, but the rules say it. I'm like, you're going like, to have to throw away like, the rules that it is. Yeah, you're gonna have to. <laughs> Cause like, you know, it's such a human need. It, it's kind of like saying, you know, it's one of those things like bottled water, right? Like that was marketed to people that were thirsty. It wasn't like, well, you know, six foot tall Asian men in Illinois will only want this product. Like it wasn't, that's not something, you know? So it's, it's interesting that 
those rules are kind of, they get broken down when the, like the market is so broad because this product can work for so many things. So I think they need to put their marketing books down for a little bit and, and realize how, how much of a human need this really is. I think that's so true. And And that's the other part, just really quickly to add to that. The second thing we're trying to achieve with this is the fact that sex is a real thing. Yes. There's no shame that needs to be around it. It's on the hierarchy of needs. Um, And so stop shaming people about sex. Stop. Let's let's break down these old age taboos so people can be freer and be exactly who they are. I love the generation that's coming behind me because they're already like, screw that. You can't call me this. (laughs) Call me this. Yeah. You know, this is who I am. Respect it or get out of my face. And I love it. And I love it. And I hope that we can do the same thing when it comes to sex. So we're trying to do that as well. No, I I definitely feel that already and it's coming across and even just I've never even held your product and I've already gotten that so I think that that's something that's really you guys are doing a great job at I have to make sure you get one yeah (laughs) I can't wait (laughs) um but I I also just want to I just want to ask like when because this is something that I get asked kind of a lot of the time but what were there ever those moments where you were like can I really do this? Like moments of doubt or, or fraud. And how did you get past that? Happens every day, every hour and 20 minutes. Um, (laughs) I am having a moment of uh, imposter syndrome, of course, uh, for one, um, my, again, my background is information security have nothing to do with engineering. Um, so I've had to learn that and I've had to learn it mostly by banging my head against the wall. Um, so as you can imagine, and that's a lot of stress. Um, in addition to that, I wasn't a CEO at first by any means. I had a really great idea. A lot of people start out that way. I had to transform into a CEO and I had to do it very quickly. Um, we did raise a family and friends round and we were able to raise $126,000. Um, I also put in about 180,000 of my own cash as well. That's a lot of money to have mm. on the line. So I had to become this person um, as soon as possible. And even still made a lot of mistakes, you know? And so those things and <laughs> creating this product period uh, is just a very hard and complex uh, product itself. It, it challenges me every hour and 20 minutes, right. um, especially with the highs and lows of being an entrepreneur. Um, I like to tell the story all the time that um, the day that we were... Um, presented in Forbes magazine. Um, an hour later, I was called by the engineers who were freaking out because something major had failed. And I'm like, I was just here, high, <laughs> super high, happy, about to, you know, pop some champagne. And then I get the worst news ever. That's an emotional roller coaster that, you know, um, you have to be built for it. So yeah, yeah it's extremely hard, but um, my why and knowing why I'm creating it, um, you know, and the people that it's going to have impact for it, that's what pushes me every single day. That's the only way that I make it because it's a huge mental challenge. Yeah. Cause it's bigger than you, you know, it's, yes. it's something that it's not just one of those things that's like, oh, this would be cool to have. It's like, no, this is a necessity. This is like a gap in, in this exactly. industry. And I think that's really amazing. Does the app, um, is that just something? Cause like, I know there's other companies that, uh, like Satisfier and and WeVibe and things like that that have remote control apps and that's because you work in in that the, this field actually too. So 
I was just wondering about like data and all those mm-hmm. things. A lot of people wonder a lot of the times, especially with sex toys, is my data getting traded, sold? Like, is it something like worth even thinking about? Cause for me, I never really cared about that stuff. I was like, I mean, what are they going to do? No, when I orgasm. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, exactly. <laughs> but my, my husband actually is a web developer and he started telling me like, Oh, there's actually these this information they can get and all this stuff. So, um, that's when I became more aware of it. And I, I started thinking more about data. So could you talk about that piece of it too? Cause that's something that you were a part of before all of this began. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I am a super huge advocate for privacy. Um, one of the things that I really like to research and look up on is, you know, how much of our privacy is actually being exposed, um, who is being exposed to how our data is being handled. That was one of my passions before even starting this project. So, um, when building our mobile app, I wanted to make sure that we did the very best job of protecting data, people's data, um, from the very beginning. So, you know, um, regardless if it's like a data entry field in our app, we're encrypting, we're doing every single thing we can from every point that data is actually put into um, into our basically our database. The other approach that we took was that we absolutely want to be able to track um, people's activity because it's only gonna help the industry who already has not enough data um, to be able to you know create even better products, um, create better solutions. So we absolutely wanted to be able to track certain um, important activity but what we made sure we did is that we don't connect the activity to the person. Um, mm-hmm. So you wouldn't be able to tell that Bob, you know, had sex for nine hours last night. Okay, you would Bob. know that a right. <laughs> <laughs> you would know that a person had sex for nine hours. Um, this is when they activated. This is when they stopped. There, there was a moment where, um, you know, they stopped for like thirty seconds, maybe to take a breath or something. <laughs> um, but you would never know that it was Bob who did it. So. Um, that's been our approach. We we uh, we track data, but we always protect people's actual identity, and we don't necessarily take a lot of um, mo- big PII, so um, personal identif- identifying um, information. Uh, we don't we take as least as much as possible. We want to make sure that people have control over their app and that no one can just get in and out of it um, to see what they've been doing. Uh, you know, nosy wives or or cousins, <laughs> um, but. Um, we wanted to make sure that people have still control over it. We only take data that we actually need to make sure that they have the best experience possible, but we do track activity and we just don't connect it to the person. So that's been our approach um, with the uh, with the with the mobile app. And that could, that data is controllable at any point in time. You can delete it. You can, you know, get rid of it completely directly from our database with one request. And um, we, we always make that a high priority. Every single build we do starts with security first, and then we do the build. So um, that's been our approach. That is really good to know, because um, I think a lot of people would probably be wondering about that part of it, because we hear these stories all the time. So I think that's something that is always, you know, going to be in the future for us now, as long as we're on the internet. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And as sex tech expands, it's like, for some people like me, it doesn't really matter, but for other people, they have such a hard time even thinking about their own sex life. They can't imagine a company picking up that information, but it is a security blanket to know, like, we're not connecting it to you. We're not analyzing you. It's just to make everything 
run smoother, run better, create more products, et cetera. Um, exactly. Exactly. So I, I love that, but I also, so is there, is there a way to make, I don't know if this already exists in your, in your mind, but, um, to make like an ejaculating portion of this perhaps. Yeah. So let me just <laughs> tell you about some of the things we're working on. Um, <laughs> so, uh, some of the future, uh, uh, aspects of the device that we, we have about six iterations already in design mode right now. Um, we already so have beat on. So you never sleep. Is that, that's what yeah. <laughs> honestly, no, uh, okay. my engineers don't either. They're like, can we just do this today? I'm like, no, we no. keep thinking about the future. <laughs> um, there's so many needs we can fulfill here, but, um, one of the two main things I will tell you that we're working on, that'll probably be another year or two before we actually are able to get it to market. But one is stand to pee. Um, so we're working on an STP piece of this. And then the second is to be able to have, um, an ejaculation uh, mechanism as well. Those are like more of a one to two year, uh, out. One of the things that we're working on right now for our actually next iteration is to have stimulation for the primary user. Um, so the primary user who actually has, uh, the base of the product up against their pelvic area, which is, that's how it's, um, created to sit. Um, we're actually going to have a vibration, um, option as well for that piece of it. So we're working on that and that's really near future. Um, and the other thing that we want to work on from a high tech perspective is the usage of body sensors. Again, our baseline is always to make this as humanistic as possible. So body sensors, um, the usage of AI, and then um, the usage of um, brain computer interfaces. Uh, those are three high tech technologies that we want to utilize the body sensors because we want the sensors to pick up on arousal and for the device to, um, you know, do its thing at that moment without you having to do anything. Um, and that's the same thing for the AI piece just a little bit. We mm -hmm. want the AI piece to react with your natural body reaction. We want, we want it to be able to pick up on who you are, how you interact, and when you want to, you know, have an erection, basically. Right. Um, and then the brain-computer interfaces is more so for, with the uh, community that, you know, experiences paralysis um, or things of that sort or any type of, you know, um, uh, physical uh, body restrictions. Right we want to be able to leverage that technology so that again, the device, you don't need anyone to help you with it. Um, you don't necessarily even have to push a button. Um, there is some voice recognition that we're actually building into the application as well. Um, so that you don't necessarily have to have any hands on um, with, with the device, if not, if you, if you didn't want to. So those are all the technologies that we're working with um, to create even better uh, products to put out on the market when it comes to the Vita. That is so beyond exciting. I love that. And I am just thinking about like the future of prosthetic penises now. And I'm just like, wow, that's so cool. Um, especially the body sensor bit. Um, so are you talking about like increased blood flow? Are you talking about other types of sensors? Exactly. Yeah. Increased blood flow. Exactly. Okay. We're tapping into how the clitoris, and this is specifically more so right now um, for clitoris owners. Right. We're tapping into... Uh, the magic of the clitoris in terms of it has over 8,000 nerve endings. Mm. Um, it tells you when it's aroused. I mean, you can see yeah. it move. You can, you know, there's so many different things that we can pick up on and we want the body sensor to just be there 
and ready to pick up on whatever communication the clitoris is actually putting out. Right. Um, so that's the body sensor piece of it. And we're talking about something um, that's as simple as the same body sensor that's on your smartwatch. You know, it could pick up blood flow um, and how the blood flow, how fast, or slow it's going. Those mm-hmm. are all indications of, you know, arousal when it comes to that part of our body. So, yeah, that is so unbelievable. And I love that. And I'm really looking forward to that because, you know, the labia has erectile tissue. So that would make sense that that would happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's so cool. Well, Thank you so much. This is so much to chew on. I'm really excited for you. I think that your whole mission is just so cool. And I think what you're doing is just, you're really making a difference. And I like, I love to see it, uh, but much appreciated. Yeah. Where can people find more about you more about the product? And cause I know you're working on other stuff too. Like this is kind of a huge undertaking of yours. So where can people <laughs> figure out more about you? Absolutely. So uh, all things VDOM can be found on our website at www.thevdom.com. Um, and that's the VDOM.com. I'll we put it are, in the we have, too. Okay, cool. Yeah. We have a um, great presence on um, Instagram, um, our biggest restrictors in life, but uh, <laughs> we are on there as at the.vdom. So at the.vdom. And we're on Twitter as well, um, VDOM ATL, as well as Facebook, VDOM ATL as well. Cool. Okay. So you're probably going to get a couple more fans from this, I'm sure. So. Because this is. I know that this is something that will resonate with a lot of people. And I mean, it already is. So this is amazing, but yeah. Is there anything else you want to put out there? I usually ask, actually, I usually ask my guests, I'm going to put you on the spot. I usually ask my guests at the end (laughs) of the episode, what is your best sex advice that you've ever heard? So I'm putting you on the spot. I didn't prep you for this, (laughs) but Um, the best sex advice I would say is to get to know yourself first before you try to get to know someone else first. So um, take the time to know exactly what you want, what you need, what feels good, what doesn't feel good. Um, know your psyche of sex, your your feeling of sex of yourself before trying to engage with someone else, if possible. Um, but yeah, that's Ooh. to me, that's the best advice because then everything else actually flows a little bit better. Oh, totally. Totally. I love that. Thank you. Another thank you. little wisdom nugget from you. <laughs> love that. But thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome back whenever. Um, if you do a launch, um, like when you do your market launch, please let me know. Cause I would love to have that, uh, like in the follow-up like description, I'll always edit it when it is available on market and yeah, thank you so much. So you can check out more about Uh, You can check out more about Glenice and the VDOM at their website, which is in the description for this episode. And I'll put it on my Instagram and all over the place so you can all find it. Uh, But thank you very, very much. Awesome. Thank you for having me.